times, I tell you, a sleeping giant is going to awake. It's the body of Christ. It's the church in America. God has called this nation. We've had a lot of grace. And a lot of grace has been extended to us, but God wants us to extend a grace that's going to change the world, that's going to change people's hearts and their ideologies and their focuses and take them out of sins. And we are the ones that are going to affect this world. We are the ones that are going to affect America. I really believe in a moment things change. In a moment, we transition into a new place in our lives. In a moment, you can have a boldness where you are going to look around you and look at the people who are fearful and look at the people who need a word, and you can speak the gospel message. The, Paul said the gospel is the power of God to salvation to everyone who will believe. But as that message is presented, that's where faith comes, where people can believe in that message. It is not a time to cower or step back, but it's a time to simply walk in a greater faith and confidence in God. God wants to use us. Don't walk in your own head. Don't walk in your own fear. Walk out of your relationship with God. Do things that you need to do. It's like you don't have to be afraid of doing nice things or doing fun things, but walk in faith. Do whatever you do in faith. Go wherever you're going to go because you're called in faith, because you believe that this is what you're supposed to do. Watch a faith in you rise up and bring changes. Everything in this world is pointing to God. This whole world is about people coming to God, having a relationship, and then going for all eternity with God. Our kids are the greatest things that we have. They must know Jesus Christ. They must know the gospel. I would hate to think that my kids are going to wind up in hell because I did not represent Jesus to them, that I did not pray for them, that I did not encourage them, that there is only one thing. It's to know Jesus Christ. There are a lot of distractions in this world. There are a lot of good things, but none of them are the best if it's not pointing us to Jesus. All of us have problems and circumstances and situations and trials and difficulties and pains and aches and sicknesses. We're all dealing with real things. But it is our relationship with God that must continually be our focus where we return with our vision and put our eyes on Jesus. And sometimes it's moment by moment by the different things that come our way, the different circumstances that we face in our life. This is a desperate day. Israel was in bondage for over 400 years. God was trying to get their attention. And from the moment he pulled them out of bondage, he set them on a course that they would have to get face-to-face with him. And we know they didn't take advantage of that. We know that fear and bondage was in their hearts. We know that they focused more on where they were at and when there was no water, and they didn't like the food God was giving them. But we have the opportunity to learn from them and to learn from those who have gone before us to have the greatest faith in this world, especially as we move closer to the end of the age when Jesus is going to come back and it's going to be a surprise to every person living on the earth. But now is our time to get bold in the Lord, to have a greater confidence in the faith that has begun to be inside of us, that we might stand as God wants us to stand. We are living in dark days. Let us be light shiners. Let us be representatives of Jesus Christ. Let us break through even our own mentality and thinking. We're supposed to walk in newness. You know what Paul said that um, that we are supposed to walk not after the flesh. You know, you've heard me testify. I've tried to be really honest about the things that I deal with, like dealing with depression during my life. But I tell you, there's something coming over me. Yes, that's part of my old nature. But so often we defer to our old nature instead of walking on a new. Jesus 
said to us through Paul, put on Christ, put on our new nature, walk. It's almost like a choice where am I going to live like what I feel? Am I going to live by my circumstances or am I going to up and I'm going to live like what the Bible says? I am a new creation in Christ. It is Jesus in me. Am I going to walk in my new man? Am I going to walk under the power of the Holy Spirit or am I going to walk under the way I feel today? Am I going to walk on the way someone, what someone said to me today? No, it's time for us to walk in our new nature. And it takes a moment to put on clean clothes. It takes a moment. We get up every morning, we put on clean clothes and we walk in a new day. I tell you, the clothes we have are clothes of the Spirit, and we're supposed to put them on and walk in them. I tell you, a world is waiting to see us arise and see us be those overcomers and to have the answer. The answer could be a simple prayer. What are you going through? Let's pray. I believe my God. I believe Jesus is wanting to show you his power. He wants to turn your focus on what is distracting you to give you hope in your life. The world is full of opportunities for us to bring them hope. I want to talk about God, the one who keeps promises. The definition of a promise is to make somebody expect something, a vow to assure somebody of something that's going to happen. What are our experiences about promises? We know people in unkept promises. We know broken marriage vows, a promise by people who may have good intentions but not have the follow through to carry out those promises. And so we have a world of darkness and negativity, and we have people around us who love us and make us a promise in the moment and then break it in the next minute because they don't have the same feeling or they don't have the same intention. They don't have the same ability to keep that promise. And that effect about us to trust really affects us with God because we're in this fallen world and we're a world where people are promise breakers. They can, they can make a promise, but they can't keep it. People are risky investments for us to have faith in what they promise. I'm sure so, if I had an opportunity to give a little time, I'm sure some of you would say, somebody made you a promise, but you don't really think they're going to keep it. Our experience, the humanity of man. I noticed on the cover of Sports Illustrated, they were featuring LeBron James for keeping a promise that he would win the title for Cleveland. How long it took for him to keep that promise have you ever been disappointed by a promise not kept? Maybe today you're dealing with an ache inside of your heart because a promise was broken. Some people are devastated by a promise unbroken. I know of a, an incredible person in our community who became an alcoholic on the streets because he was rejected. In Numbers twenty-three nineteen, God is the only one who keeps promise. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he said and shall he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? These things need to resonate in our heart as we allow God to build us in our faith. I'm hoping that you're feeling so excited about God today and you've had some good warm and fuzzies. But I tell you, when you hit that door, Satan's going to come to try to steal everything that you have. He's going to try to discourage you in every resolve that you make here today because he knows that if you believe and you rise up against those circumstances and you walk in faith in the reality of who lives inside of you, you are going to live differently and you are going to affect the people around you. In Titus 1-2, Paul wrote, We live in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. We live in the hope of new life, in the hope of eternal life. You guys 
all of us could sit down and we could make a list of our priorities and we could tell each other what we're going to do when we leave here today and what we're facing next week. I tell you, we've been given a hope of new life. All of us are going to die. In the next hundred years, most of us will all be gone and we'll be in eternal life. This is, has to be our priority, our faith in God, living a life that reflects Jesus, living a life that reflects a relationship with God. You young people, all the life is ahead of you. And some of you are excited, and some of you, the enemy has lined up. He wants to take you out with temptations of the world. But I challenge you to put Jesus first and resist those temptations and let God use you. Let the light shine out of your lives and have a hope and live differently than the people in your generation. The promises of God. It was the last, it was a, a Friday night and Friday evening. It was right before 4 o'clock and when in transportation, it was always someone needed something moved at the last minute, right before four. And I remember getting the job. My dispatcher said, hey, Bannister, go move a weight trailer from one building to the yard where it's supposed to be placed. After They would use the weights to check the scales out. And so I got up, unhooked my tractor, went and hooked up to that trailer, brought that, brought that trailer and dropped it in the yard where it goes. And as I was cranking the wheels down, that the Holy Spirit prophetically gave me Psalms 23. For surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that word so resonated. But the promise through years of different trials, temptations, losses, grief, uh, physical injuries, uh, oppression, carrying other people's burdens, goodness and mercy has had to follow those things. It's a promise that we live in a rotten world but goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our life. That life will come out of tragedy. That joy will come out of grief and mourning. That provision will come out of loss. Even as Job lost all of his house. I think of Carlos and his wife back there who've just lost everything. I tell you, God is going to turn things around for you. I don't know what it's going to be or how long it's going to take. But God, because of your faith, will not abandon you, even though you felt abandoned in your loss. We serve a God who is consistent every day. He does not waver. He means for good in our life. He is for good. He is for our good. Focus on a God who gives good promises that he then keeps. Change who you're thinking about when it comes to promises. You have to let your mind be changed. You have to get a hold of God and say, God, oh, change the way I believe about your word, about the promises you've given me. So often the promises that we've got fall to the wayside. They go into the ground and we think because the enemy is hammering us because we don't see it, that God's not working and we kind of give up on the promises. We don't, we don't continually contend for how we need to change and adapt ourselves and relate to God and, and contend for the promises by simply walking in relationship with a God who loves us and gives us promise. God swore an oath by himself. You know, when you go into the courtroom, they whip out that Bible and they want you to make sure you're going to tell the truth so that when you give your statement in the courtroom, it's going to be truth. And hopefully people are going to tell the truth. But I'm sure there's sometimes people that put their hand on that Bible and they're not telling the truth. But that Bible is to represent someone who's going to be honest. That Bible represents someone who's going to realize that this is God's word and I must speak the truth. Well, God says this in Hebrews 6.13. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for himself to swear by, he swore by himself. 
Wow. That's authority, huh? That's accountability. That's strength in truth that he swore by himself before Abraham. Because he knew Abraham needed a promise because he was facing an impossibility. His promise was impossible. And so he needed a word from God who was, he was in relationship that would carry him through all that he would go through until he received that promise. And when he received that promise from a God who could not lie, he was not aware of the 24 years that were going to elapse and the hopelessness that was going to come upon him and trying to see that promise be fulfilled. God gave us the greatest gift in our life through the gospel. At the moment we hear the gospel and we open our heart and receive Jesus, a gift of faith comes in. It is that faith in God and in his word and being born again and having our spirit made alive that gives us the ability to begin to trust. And if we're to trust anyone in our relationships or anyone in the body of Christ, it's going to depend on our ability to trust God and surrender all those areas that we have lost and broken trusts. In Romans 12, 3, God dealt to every man the measure of faith that every one of us has the same amount of faith and it came the moment we responded to Jesus. What are you doing with your faith? What are you doing with your faith? You must strengthen and build your faith because you must have a trust in God because God wants you to believe that he's a promiser and a promise keeper and a promise maker because you're going to live in times when everything is going to come against your faith and the promises of God. And when those promises fall away and you lose hope, you, you, draw, you draw back from God. You get inactive in the things of the Spirit. You don't read your Bible. You stay disconnected. And so your faith is one of the most important things that you need to keep alive. And that means sometimes maybe you have to go to God and say, I don't believe you. I don't trust you. I'm disconnected. I, I don't know where you're at. But if you talk like that to God, you're going to stay connected. And I tell you, he's going to deepen your faith and he's going to show you things and he's going to develop and let trust be something that you experience. Promises. Promises. In Romans 4.17, you've heard this a million times from me. But look at this verse with new spiritual insight. Look at these few verses we're going to go over with a greater understanding. Let the Holy Spirit bring revelation of these verses. The Word of God is powerful. The Word of God is incredible to feed your faith and to build your faith. Paul the Apostle writes about God, the promise maker and keeper. The context is this. God is speaking to Abraham, and he says, out of the Amplified, as it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. Notice the tense. When he made the promise 24 years before it came to pass, prom- came to pass that it was already a done deal in God's sight. The promise maker, it was already a done deal. Do you have a promise that you've been given and your mind and the enemy is beating you with your own thoughts saying, it ain't going to happen. It's been too long. When God makes a promise, it's just like he promised to Abraham. It's a done deal. I have made you a father of many nations. In the presence of him, in the presence of God, whom Abraham believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they are. 
A promise from God is God calling those things that don't exist in your life, that are dead, that are hopeless, that you have total doubts about, those promises saying it's going to happen. His promise to Abraham was he was going to be a father of many nations. That's why he got changed from the name of Abram to Abraham. His name change was setting him up to receive what God had promised. The promise came to Abram and Sarah both as a united couple, as a team, as one in marriage while they were barren, while they were unfruitful, while they were without any ability to make it come to pass. Promises also come from being in the Lord's presence. Obviously, Abraham was connected with God and he had a relationship that God could even speak to him and Abraham could dare to believe and receive a promise from God. Another reason to stay in the presence of God, to maintain a moment-by-moment attitude as your mind will let you if you're not distracted or have to work or do things God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, represents Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living inside of me right now. doesn't matter if I don't feel it, I don't think it. It's a reality that God is in us. The God of the impossible, the God of promise, is living in me, and it is the Holy Spirit that is developing me, readying me to receive the promises and working the promises in my life. And he's also working and people, for the fact that people are involved sometimes in bringing the promises to us, that God is working on them also. And so our prayers over the promises and our prayers sometimes over people that we don't even know are involved. God, you promised me this. Lord, move on those people today wherever there are. Lord, you hear my prayers and my prayers back up your will and give you access in this world to do what you want to do. So I pray for those people that are directly involved with my promises that they will respond to the work of your Holy Spirit, that they will not hinder the timing of releasing them, bringing that promise home into my life. A promise from God usually comes in an area that we are dead and barren, an area we don't think can happen, an area maybe we've tried to make happen and we failed, an area where we're powerless, and that's exactly where the promise and why God gives us the promise. And especially when we see no way for the promise to materialize. Remember, God says we have the promises before we can see them. Because it takes faith in God while he's working to see if our heart can contain the promise. Remember, remember, um, Joseph, it says that that word in him was tested. That word tested him. Could he carry that word to completion? Our promises are to see, are we going to hang on track? Are we going to stay with God focused? Are we going to keep him first in our life? Are we going to keep as the main priority? Are we going to put him first? Are we going to spend time with him? Are we going to read his word like he's our biggest boss, even before our natural bosses and the distractions that are around us? There's a lot of priorities, and it's so easy to get our priorities out of line. But if we keep God first, we will have the best we can have with tribulations, with problems, but we will have overcoming abilities and we will have answers and we will have a testimony. We will have a track record that will even encourage and build our faith even more and more. And it doesn't matter 
what you're going through, how bad the circumstances or the things that you've gone through, I tell you, God will take you out the other side, and you're going to have incredible testimony. Abraham, father of many nations, believed that what God said already existed, even before he saw the evidence. God's promise was dependent on his word, not on Abraham and Sarah's old barren bodies, incapable of making the promise come to pass. You know, I felt like the Holy Spirit, you know, really brought that word last week about desperation. I remember being in our home with Jack. It was on Thursday and just started talking about desperation. That word just resonated in my spirit. I said, desperation. And Jack says, that's the word. That's the word I'm going to use this week, desperation. And he told that story about the woman with the issue of blood and her desperation to apprehend and get a hold of God. And Jairus, you know, he told that story that he, she left. He left the wife. He left the sick and dying daughter because there was something in him that knew that that Jesus, if there's any hope in my daughter being saved, I've got to get to Jesus. And that desperation was just experience in his movement to get out of his situation and to go apprehend Jesus. The definition of desperation is to an eagerness, an anxiousness. Have you ever been desperate about a situation? You've got to do something or I've got to go get this done and you're desperate. You, you go out or you're desperately in need and you need something. You're frantic. You're at the end of your tether. You're in desperation. You do something extreme when desperate. I remember the very first time my back went out in, the, in 1994. I cannot believe the incredible pain. It went through my back and it shot me. I fell down. I could not even support my weight. And it's interesting. I was just ready to go on vacation. Dory was away. I was trying to get everything done. I was working time. I was working overtime. I was doing call-ins. And I was super hyperly stressed getting the house already because we were going to go on vacation. And my back went out, and I went down. I spent two weeks of my vacation on the couch. I was fine as long as I was on the couch with my legs up or in bed with my legs up. But the moment I, my feet hit the floor, I could not stand. I fell to the ground. I went to doctors. I went to a chiropractor. I mean, I was desperate. And when you know when you're in a desperate situation, you're crying, you're calling on God, but you're doing everything that you know how to do. It was God that brought me out of that. In fact, I was so overwhelmed because when I went back to work, I went to back to work with the ice pack down my back, and I was limping, and I was starting a whole new job. I'm thinking, oh, my God, I'm not only a driver now. I'm now going into rigging. I'm now going to be a rigger. And my first day of the job, I'm telling my boss, man, my back, he goes, Bannister, don't worry. Here's my truck. I'll give you some light duty. Don't worry. And here I was all stressed about, I hear I have a new job. How, how, how's this going to happen? The grace of God was on me. My boss, my boss, is, my big boss said, here, go, go see this chiropractor. He's going to help you. You know, it's amazing when you're in desperation, you know, you call out on God. When you call on God, he's there. Okay, last Thursday, I bent over to turn on a water faucet out here, and my back went out. This was different, though. It was my sciatic nerve. I can't sit. If I'm standing, if I'm walking, I'm fine. I can lay down for short periods of time. But if not, i got to get up and walk. So I'm shoving the ice down my back, and I'm walking. But on Monday night, because you get in terror. When things come in your life, you get a terror comes over you, and you get a desperation. Anybody got desperate, a terrible, terrible situation, a terrible situation comes up, and you get that terror on you, and you get desperate? And hopefully as a Christian, when you get desperate, you begin to call on the Lord. 
I told you when my, when my eyes were getting bad, I laid on my couch and I was crying, God, you've got to do something. I'm too far out for a, for a surgery. You've got to do something. And God quickly let my eyes get worse and I was able to get my surgery. But, but it's like in that desperate place, he, he hears the cries of his, of his sons and daughters who are desperate. There's something in a desperate cry that breaks us loose, that connects us with God like nothing else. Ishmael was Abraham's failed, desperate attempt to see that promise come to pass. And, oh, we're good at helping God. Anybody help God do so, try to do something? Desperation is the road that leads us to the Lord. Desperation can turn into trust and growth in faith when we keep moving toward the Lord, no matter what seems to block our way, no matter what seems to distract us, even in pain. Monday night, I said, God, it's going to be our 35th anniversary. My wife has been planning this for over three months. I'm in a desperate place. I need you to do something. She comes home a little while later. Jack had lent her this machine that helps stretch out the back. I mean, God hears the prayers. You know, God knows where we're at. Nothing is a surprise to him that sometimes is a shock to us when we, when we have a circumstance, a trial, a sickness, or something comes on us. It's a surprise to us. What? I'm a Christian. I don't think this is supposed to happen. All things work together for good because we are called. Every one of us is called You've got to get an excitement in you, just like I have to have an excitement when I come and speak to you. You have to get an excitement about your faith because you don't know what God wants to do in your life. You don't know who you are in God. Let God awaken a a divine call of who you are and a desperation to know who he is in your life and to be who he's called you to be so that he doesn't have to wait another 20, 30 years and try to call someone else because you failed to do your call. Saul had an opportunity. God had a call him to be a king over Israel. He failed in the test. He failed in his obedience. He did things his own way. He feared man, and he lost his calling. He lost his spiritual heritage, and he died in unbelief, and he died Uh, trying to get a word of God from witches. It's sick. Desperation. Can we Christians be desperate, but be calm and at peace? That's where a place comes. I was thinking like, okay, I'm in my situations. How come I don't feel desperate? Because I know who I walk with. I know in my 51 years, 52 years, whatever it is, since Jesus called me, since he revealed himself and I accepted him, was born again when I felt his love. I know who I walk with. And so when situations come that are bigger than me, I don't have that same desperation that maybe I would like to have because I feel like if I have that desperation, you know, I'm going to feel like I'm, I'm having a part here. Hey, you see, I'm desperate. Hey, you see, I'm, I'm, I'm serious about this. But there's, there's an incredible peace that can come because you know who has got your back. You know who has got your life in his hands. You know who's got you in the middle of the circumstances that are overwhelming to you. You know who in you believe and who you trust, that he is able to keep you until that day. He comes back or he delivers you or the answers come or the wisdom comes or the circumstances change or the world changes. He's got your back. Everything is about the Lord. Everything in your life is about the Lord. 
And so we must bring everything to the Lord. In all our ways, acknowledge him. He's going to direct our path. Why? He's got the inside training, and you won't go to jail for using it. Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. My wife so loves me. She's so worried. Are you going to be able to get on a plane and sit? Because you can't sit. And I don't think they want you walking the aisles nowadays on the airplane. They're afraid of anybody who's walking the aisles. I said, what did the Lord tell you? She said, the Lord told me the 11th hour you're going to make it. I go, then believe on what he said. He told you that. He didn't tell me. So believe. (laughs) Believe that for me. There has to be hope in the promises that God gives us. In Romans 4, 18 through 19, Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. We read his story. We can say, yeah, you're a dead old man. You're 24 years waiting for the promise. You are dead. But he had some kind of a flicker of hope. What was that connection with God? There is something that happens when we connect with God and a promise is dropped in our heart. Just like the day I cranked that landing gear. No matter when I'm going through the worst things, I remember. For surely goodness and mercy will follow you, Bruce, all of your life, and you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a rock-solid promise. I'm going to get through this life, and in the end, when I'm done here, I'm going to be in the house of the Lord forever. So Abraham in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken so shall your descendants be. He became the father of many nations. When did he become the father of many nations? When God gave the promise and he had a hope established in your heart. Maybe all you have is a hope. That's all you need. It's going to carry you through because if you have the promise and you have a hope, it's going to carry you through to the fulfillment of that promise. But while you're going on, there's a faith that you're building. You're getting your mind aligned. You're getting your emotions aligned. I cannot go by my mind at times. I cannot go by my emotions because they're, they're contrary to the promises of God and the will of God for my life. It is time for you guys and me to keep resurrecting the promises of God. Every prophetic word, every word. Go back in your journal. The prophetic word to us in Portland last year was go back and visit the, the prophecies that have been spoken over the church and what God wants to do here. There are so many prophecies waiting to be fulfilled. And we've been having the intercessors pray every week. We've been going over them, praying for them, praying for those promises. Why? Because God said they're going to come to pass. And every time we pray over them, we're watering them. We're watering with our faith because we're saying, I believe that you promise this, and I believe you're honest with your word, and I believe you want these words to come to pass because it involves more people being saved and changed and delivered and transformed and becoming disciples. It is said that this house is to be making, God is going to make disciples here, followers of God. Like the 12 apostles, I tell you the world could stand a stronger group of believers than the apostles. Why? Because we have everything that they've gone through to learn from. We have faith of our fathers to build on and to build our confidence in a God. And the closer it gets and the lighter, the darker it gets, but the lighter that it comes because the Holy Spirit's in us, I tell you, we are going to be stronger and stronger men and women of God. Verse 19. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, nor did he consider the deadness of Sarah's womb. There is just something I tell you. I've told you this story before. I told you for 10 years I prayed for my wife 
For 10 years, I prayed. I knew I wanted to be married. I knew if I started fooling around, I would get involved with the wrong person. I would break her heart. I'd break my heart. And so I prayed. I prayed. I prayed. I prayed. I don't think I have the grace not to be married. Wherever she's at, work on her. And during those years when I started praying, hearing her story later, God began to move in her life. God began to arrest her. God began to deliver her and change her. But I remember two weeks before I met her, and I had dated two other girls, took them to church, never kissed them, touched them, just took them to church, had God speak to me, uh-uh, have God say, no, you know, fine, graciously left her just like I found her, you know, not damaged, not infected, you know, by me and my will. And then a year and a half later, I'm waking up. You're going to get married. Tell my mother, my sister, they're laughing at me. You don't even know anybody. You're not even dating anybody. Two weeks later, boom, in a juvenile hall uh, team meeting. There she is. Did it both of us at the same time. The promise. The promise that God was going to supply. The promise takes you through the waiting. The promise God gives you, it's strong enough to hold the weight of doubt and opposition and discouragement that the enemy will whisper, that your body will say to you, because he does not want you to fulfill the promises of God. He doesn't want you to believe in God because he knows if you see the promises happen, if you believe in God, you're going to get stronger and you're going to resist the thoughts. You're going to resist the temptations and the subtlety of who he is and deceiving us from following Jesus. He knows. He's been working people for since the fall of man. He's been working the planet. Here's my key scripture. Oh, this is, this is good, you guys. This is, this is the deal maker right here. Romans 4.20, Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Okay, this is not a formula. Okay, I have promises. Glory to God. Thank you. Hallelujah, Jesus. Praise your name. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. No, it's not a formula. Abraham got to a place here. He was dead. He had got to the place from life and circumstances where he had to let go. He realized his weakness. He did not have the ability to bring forth that child. He had tried the Ishmael. He had brought all the problems into this family by bringing an Ishmael in. And and he knew, I'm done. And so when he began to give glory to God, something had transitioned in him. This is the key thing. When he gave glory to God, he had let go. He had let go. And now it's on you. It is on you. And he had such a faith. He had such a faith in God because he let go. That was the faith I had about being married. You, you got to have her. And people were laughing. My family was laughing at me. You know, whatever, whatever. But I tell you, when God said, you're going to get married, it was like I had already met her. Two weeks before, it was like I already had met her. Because when God says, the promise is done, oh my it is like, it, it's, you only have to, you can only experience this to know what it's like to have God give you a promise and then to say, it's here. And then you realize, oh my God, I was so joyful. I was like, I was riding, driving to work, happy. I didn't even met her. But he said, he said, it's done deal. And then when I met her, it was like, wow, God, you are a God who's faithful to your word. You're faithful to your promises. Oh God, help me to keep my eyes on you. Oh, yeah, and there's times when I got married, I got my eyes off Jesus, and I was 
putting her on the throne and had to die to that and get Jesus back on the throne and thank God for her, but not try to make her God. I mean, when God gives you a promise, it's big. And so you want to make the promise your God, but keep your eyes on Jesus. It's a result of letting go, giving glory to God. In the circumstances that defy the promise, faith gives thanks. Thank you, Jesus. I'm not trusting you right now. Thank you, Jesus. I'm worried that you're not going to deal with the situation. Jesus, I'm going to thank you anyway because you're, the, you're my go-to person. I went to you. Just like Jairus, you know, when they came and said, hey, your daughter's dead. What a, what a nice greeting. Hey, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. What a slap. What a slap in his face when his de- desperation had brought him to Jesus. I tell you, the enemy is going to send people to slap you to try to discourage you about your promise. No, look, push him aside, push him aside, look to Jesus, look to Jesus. It's interesting, before the sciatic nerve, and you know, this last few weeks, I just, in the last few weeks, going over the prophetic words, and there are just so many more people God wants to save and deliver in this church. There are so many leaders God wants to raise up. There are so many, the, the body of Christ needs leaders with strength and character, and we've been lacking We've seen leaders come through the church and could not handle the pressure or did not want the call. I tell you, there's a prophetic mantle over this church to raise up leaders, to heal broken leaders, and I tell you, that's what we're contending for. It's something God's going to do. But it's one of those promises that I'm saying, thank you, God, I don't have the ability. I told my wife, there are so many places I lack as a leader that I can't, I can't make leaders happen. I can't do it. But God has me just doing what I'm going to do. Why? Because God is going to do what he said he's going to do. And so I've been rising to this place of giving glory to God. Thank you, God. I cannot do it. I've been here 17 years almost. I cannot do it. I cannot make this place grow. I cannot see people delivered and changed, but only you can. But you want to deliver people. You want to change people. You want to have people such experiences with you like those disciples that they change their whole lifestyle. They give up the priorities that they have to, to follow Jesus. And I, I'm thinking that's what God has to do. He still has to invite people to follow them on a road that's going to cost them everything. But they're willing to do it because what they're getting is so far outweighs. But in this scripture God gave me a couple weeks ago, it's back at 317, this verse will carry you while you're waiting for what you do not see. Though the fig tree does not bud, there, though there is no grapes on the vines, though the olive tree, a whole crop fails, and the field produces no fruit, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in God my Savior. Carlos and your wife, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Romans 4, 21, 22. Uh Uh-oh, Dory, give me some Kleenex. Abraham. Abraham, being fully convinced that what God had promised, he was also able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. How many times as husbands or wives <clears throat> are you frustrated when the person you've been committed to and married to for such a long time do not trust you or do not believe in you? Anybody ever been frustrated in your marriage? So why don't they believe me? Why don't they trust me? I'm not lying to them. Abraham was fully convinced that what God had promised he was able to perform and therefore it was counted for right. Could you see how happy God is? He's been working on this planet for years 
And finally, a husband, a wife, a man, a woman, a child, when they actually believe him. Can you think how happy he is? You're, you're a parent. When your kid finally believes in you, when you tell him, if you study, you're going to do well. If you pick up your room, I'm going to be happy with you. I mean, the joy we get, that's what God, God gets so much super joy when we say, I'm going to believe him. Will you stand? Hopefully today, something is resonating in you. You know, and sometimes along with the challenges, you, you can get excited about a challenge, but you can you get a fear about what it's going to cost you. All you can do is surrender and surrender even the fear of what it might cost you. Because only when God deals with our fears can we be free to surrender and embrace what he wants to do. Whatever you need prayer for, or however, maybe you just want to come and say, God, there's some promises I've just let go to the wayside and Lord, the enemy has robbed me, and I just want to re-restore, and I, I just want you to lead me in what I need to do to get back on track to, to pray and back up those promises. <clears throat>